Hello and welcome to Pop DNA, the podcast that traces your. Oh my god! What is it? I'm... Oh my god! Traces the literary and historical roots of your favorite pop culture. Oh my gosh! Yes. Okay. Hello and welcome to Pop DNA, the podcast that traces the literary and historical roots of your favorite pop culture. I'm it, that's, Aaron. that's true. It's <laughs> Why what? are we so bad at this? Okay. I'm... <laughs> I th- I was supposed to introduce myself there, wasn't I? <laughs> that's I think fine. so. <laughs> I'm Rhonda. <laughs> and I'm Aaron. <laughs> and we do not know how to make a podcast. <laughs> we and yet we really do. It's kind of like a <laughs> It's kind of a we thing have we our do. Intros and- our intros and outros are a mess, and then everything in the middle is, like, stuff Amazing. I'm proud of. Yeah. So. Not to toot our own horn, but but it is. Like, we're just being honest. But dang it, in this world, I'm going to toot the horn every <laughs> right. now and then. Um, so this is uh, our season one, or not season one. Oh, my gosh. So bad at this. This season is our three. very first episode. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody would would uh, would think that was strange if this really was our first episode. So no. this is our season three premiere, and this is also the debut of our new format. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Um, this is part one of our September series on a television Riverdale. show, Riverdale. Riverdale. So, Aaron, I'm going to be real honest. I've only watched the first season of Riverdale. Rhonda. I know. You mean you aren't obsessed with this campy BS like me? (laughs) Well, I was. Okay, so here's the thing. I'm pretty sure I binged like the first six or eight episodes when they first came on Netflix. And then I was just kind of done. And then sure. <laughs> I was like, that's enough of that. And then I, <laughs> and then when we decided we were going to talk about it, I was like, well, I guess I better watch some more of the show. So I, I did finish season one and actually, you know what I watched? I think I watched like the first two episodes of season two. So, you know, wasn't just the first season, but yeah, but um, yeah, we're, we're going to talk about it anyway. <laughs> I think that um, sometimes these longer episode shows are just kind of a lot, especially a show like Riverdale. It is a lot. Where so much happens. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot. Um, but can you tell us a little bit more about Riverdale for, for listeners? I, yeah. So um, the show was originally created by um, Roberto Aguirre Sacasa. And I didn't know until <laughs> this morning that... He's the chief creative officer for Archie Comics, and ah. then was able to create the Riverdale TV series and also um, the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. And yes. I had always wondered how he was able to secure the rights to such an icon as as Archie. It's because he's in and charge so of it. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> what? It's because he's in charge of it. Yeah. Nice. So I was like, oh, that that's how you do that. Um, <laughs> 
So um, the show is produced by Warner Brothers. It has so it has like a really big net behind it. So it has producers Warner Brothers, CBS, Berlanti Productions, and Archie Comics, and they all kind of work together. And it airs which on I think, the CW, right? Yeah, which is owned by which CBS. I think is how you get the yeah. budget that it has because right. this budget is bonkers. <laughs> And the cast of um, the cast of actors includes um, Camilla Mendez as Veronica, Lily Reinhardt as Be- as Betty Cooper, um, KJ Appa as Archie Andrews, Cole Sprouse, not Dylan Sprouse, but Cole <laughs> Sprouse, as Jughead Jones, um, and Ashley Monique Murray as Josie um, of Josie and the Pussycats. Mm-hmm. And the show also is in a really fun um, casting decision. The, the show also includes kind of classic teenage actors as their uh-huh. parents. Uh-huh. So it has <laughs> Skeet Ulrich as Jughead Jones's father, who was, of course, in the Scream franchise. It has Molly Ringwald, who needs no introduction, mm. and Luke Perry My and <laughs> um, Madchen Amek. Um, as kind of the iconic um, parents of these iconic teens, which I thought was a really, in a show that's so um, kind of fascinating, I think this was a sweet moment of casting <laughs> that I really liked. Yeah. Um, is it, uh, Machen Amick was, was in uh, Gilmore Girls. Yeah, yeah. she was, um, oh, what's her, Cherry. What's her face? Um, Sherry. Yeah, yes. Take the That's deviled fun. eggs. Yes. Take the deviled eggs. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we, we kind of went through our first experiences, but what were your well, we? um, initial thoughts on, on this? <laughs> did we? Um, well, actually, I, I would say that with a show like Riverdale that is based on, you know, another work of, you know, as its source material, I think we can talk about that for our first experience. Um, totally. Yeah. Because uh, I, you know, I was kind of like a casual fan of Archie Comics as a kid. I had, um, I think I must have had like maybe six or eight issues of uh, the various uh, iterations of comics. I, I know I definitely had yeah. like a few issues of the, like Betty and Veronica had their own comic that was separate from Archie. Um, and so I had a few issues of those and yeah, I really, I really liked the comics as a kid. I think my first experience with the show was just, yeah, watching those first six or eight episodes that I binged when it came onto Netflix. And I remember, uh, thinking when I first watched the show like oh okay so they are just using the Archie Comics characters but the show is uh Veronica Mars basically <laughs> like that was my thought right. I'm like oh okay they're just uh they're just making a teen right. and a teen noir which we'll we'll talk about that a little later on I loved the comics mm-hmm. um, as a kid. I loved, um, sp- I never really read, like, I guess the standalone ones. I really delved into Betty and, and Veronica. Um, they were kind of my, my bread and butter. I really liked them. Um, and I, so when I, I kind of had a similar thought process too. I don't think I would have watched this if it hadn't been rooted in Riverdale. Right. It might have felt too, like, what? But um, my thought was that it was as if they took the Riverdale teens and put them into Cabin in the Woods. <laughs> okay. And 
it's still kind of why I'm obsessed with the premise of this show. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that it's so of course like in the comics like there's there's connections in the co- in the comics between um Archie and Sabrina. Um so it's yeah. interesting that the tone for this series is is kind of closer to the tone of Chilling Adventures of Sabrina than totally the comics um which you know also makes sense because it's the same uh creator for both series so i wonder if if there'll ever be well sabrina was just canceled but uh oh was it it was but maybe um some sabrina characters will get to be on riverdale that would be that that would be nice i was I was expecting them to do crossovers and stuff. Um, yeah, the comics had crossovers. I'm bummed to hear that it was canceled. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but should we dive a little bit into the history of the comics so we have a good, Ooh. some good background info to talk about yeah. some more differences between the comics and the series? Yeah. So Archie, or Archie Comics, is an ongoing comic book series that features the Archie Comics character, Archie Andrews. And Archie Comics, like, as, like, uh, not just the title of the comic, but as, like, the company that publishes the comics is called Archie Comics, um, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um yeah. But the character of Archie first appeared in Pep Comics number 22, dated December of 1941. I wonder what other momentous historical events happened in December of 1941. Um, Yeah. Um, Archie uh, proved to be like a really popular character. And so they gave him his own self-titled ongoing comic book series, which started publication in the winter of 1942 and ran through June of 2015. Wow. Yeah. Um, And I think that's probably around the time when Riverdale was being developed as a series. That timeline sounds about right. Um, A second comics series started publication in July of 2015 featuring a reboot of the Archie universe with new character design and aesthetic and a more mature story format um, and was aimed at an older, um, like older teens and young adult readers. Um, So I think that the Riverdale TV series took more inspiration from this uh, comic series. Sure. Um, and then uh, the the format of the new comic book series is different from um, the uh, the previous comics. It's more um, uh, the style is a little bit different and the formatting. So the new comic series was called New Riverdale. Okay. And a new volume of Archie debuted as a part of the New Riverdale relaunch. Um, the New Riverdale is written by Mark Wald with art by Fiona Staples. And Archie Comics publisher and CEO John Goldwater said that the new series would harken back to the comics roots by showcasing more edgy and humorous stories 
and present the origins for Archie and for all of his friends. Um, and would also show the origins of the love triangle between Archie, Betty, and Veronica, which we will also look at more in depth later on. Why do we love a love triangle? So over love triangles. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Whatever. Um, So this, uh, this new Riverdale comic series is what the TV show Riverdale is more closely based on rather than the the original Archie comics. Um, But the show does share um, origins with the original comics. Um, But uh, the details are very different. Um, So if you're a fan of the comics, but you've never seen the Riverdale show, it might, it it will seem very different. The tone, right, right, the tone of the show is very melodramatic, um, very, um, it, uh, the tone of the show um, finds kind of some dark humor, but it's also just much more dark and sardonic versus the original Archie comics that was like very lighthearted, very innocent. Um, So uh, for example, in the original Archie comics, um, Jason Blossom did not die. (laughs) He he lived a long and healthy life. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, and also, uh, the character of Jughead is very different in the comics. He's much more of like, he's a very, um, uh, kind of a comic relief in the comics. Um, much more of a lighthearted character than in the show. And, um, something that... I think is an improvement in the TV series over the comics is that there used to be in the comics, there was like a rivalry between Betty and Veronica. It was like Betty versus Veronica um, over like who would get to date Archie basically was the main thing that their rivalry was over, which is just like, like I'm so glad we stopped doing that to them. (laughs) Like, um so in the tv series riverdale like i think they're correct me if i'm wrong but there's maybe like a slight suggestion that there could be a rivalry at the beginning but then they very quickly put their differences aside um and become friends um which in the comics in the comics they were friends as well but there was still that kind of edge of rivalry to their friendship yeah I think it's um, exactly what you're saying and sometimes we see these moments where Betty and Veronica disagree very intensely with each Mm -hmm. other but at the end of the day they still respect each other that kind of thing right and though in the show Veronica does get romantically involved with Archie but her priority is her friendship with Betty and helping Betty see that she can be a stronger um, a stronger version of herself and more confident in herself. And the show itself is, it's the show is kind of self-aware about a lot of things, but especially, right. I think especially about this 
age old rivalry. It's very self-aware about that. And we have uh, this exchange between Betty and Veronica in season one, episode 13. And uh, would you like to do a dramatic reading with me? I would love to. Okay. You're going to be Veronica, right? Because you're the brunette. Yeah. I'm not, a, I'm not blonde, but you know, you do what you can. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You ready? And yeah. action. Betty, now that it's just us girls and at the risk of us failing the Beckdale test, are you legitimately cool with Archie and me? Swear on the September issue. And on my copy of Forever by Judy Bloom. Oh my gosh, it's so cheesy, and I love it. Um. It's so, like, yeah, it's, it's, the whole thing is written like a comic strip still. Yeah. I love it. And it, like, it kind of breaks the fourth wall a little bit, I think, in that kind of, like, wink, wink, <laughs> nudge, nudge. Right. Yeah. Which I think, sometimes I think the show goes a little bit overboard with that. Um <laughs> Um, but we can talk about that later. Um, uh, what, Riverdale going overboard? <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> but like I kind of, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, in the comics, there were a lot of crossovers with, um, like with the Sabrina comics and with Josie and the Pussycats was its own comic series, which I think that would be great if Josie and the Pussycats got a spinoff from Riverdale. That'd be yeah, I love that. But, um, you know, in the show, we haven't really seen Sabrina crossover with the Riverdale kids. So another thing in the comics, Ms. Grundy was not young. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that whole storyline is a little messed up, like, honestly. Yeah. As- <laughs> As a teacher, it, it makes it's maybe the most cringe. I know that there are serial killers in this, but <laughs> right. it makes me the most cringy when when I I I hate that part. Yeah, right. Um, and um, just kind of like as a cap on this, just the whole tone of the show is just a lot darker. Um, like with Ms. Grundy and her illegal inappropriate relationships um you know that's just one example of how the world of Riverdale is is very very different to the world that the original Archie comics inhabit right so I think it's a really interesting way of reimagining that world but I don't know if if it was always successful (laughs) and I think that's one of those moments of self-awareness that you mentioned that like the serial killer the dark hood winds up like his main his stated main objective becomes to um to murder all of the people who are committing these indecencies so it's kind of like like the 1950s or 1940s comes back to this form of Riverdale and is like, no, not say, I mean, I'm not on the side of the killer. Right. But murder is wrong. (laughs) I did think, I did think it was an interesting way to kind of hearken back to that sweeter Riverdale was by having this serial killer, like kill Miss Grundy for this and do these things 
for the indecencies that they're seeing. It almost kind of reminds me of Pleasantville. Have you seen that movie? Yeah. That same kind of idea of like, you know, because it's like the black and white part of Pleasantville is it's like a 1950s like family yeah. sitcom, right? And so like the these, like most of the people in the town like don't know anything outside of what you would see in a 1950s sitcom. So that's it. And yeah, that's an interesting I love idea. that movie. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a good movie. Yeah, and I think another connection to Pleasantville would be kind of like <laughs> the uh, the stylistic choices in Riverdale, I think, totally. are, you know, kind of derived from comics and also kind of from like a, a vintage kind of aesthetic or retro, I guess. Totally. And I think, I think that's such a fun inspiration from the 50s, which was so stylized, mm-hmm. more so... Then now, um, I think just in what you had to look like and looks were more important. So then putting that and then pairing that with the fact that this material was originally a comic book um, makes it, I think my, the thing that redeems Riverdale for me (laughs) is that it is so stylized and Mm -hmm. it is so removed from reality and that doesn't excuse the larger issues that right. we're going to talk about, right. but it, it does make the show watchable instead of just, like, campy stuff you're not going to be in- interested in. <laughs> um, so, much like Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, um, Aguirre Sacasa really makes a point of using um, lighting, costumes, sets, sound, and also kind of the deeper character design to, to really create the feeling that you're watching a comic. Um, it's definitely like an extended dream sequence, even when you, and then it has dream sequences within it. But right. it definitely, you know, walking in that this is not, there's something a little different with this world that you're stepping into. Mm-hmm. Um the theater nerd in me really appreciates these production qualities um, just because, again, I think it makes it watchable. Right. <laughs> Whereas <laughs> if it were like, if it were any bit less stylized, I don't think I'd be into it. Um, so the first kind of setting the tone there is the sets and the lighting. So each side of Riverdale is given a, a different lighting scheme. So you have um, kind of the Riverdale High. Uh, so the smoke and fog machine is used throughout to create that eerie sense. And you have like the woods, which kind of um, circle the town. But then um, the different parts of the town and the rivalries within it are given their own color scheme. So Riverdale High is always lit in a deep red and a deep blue Mm. to kind of provide this haunted version of what would be a perfect small town, um, small town USA feel, except that it's it's not. And there's there's serial killers and there's um, teachers going after students and there's (laughs) um, just a lot of that stuff. and then um, when we are with the Southside Serpents, the color scheme is a deep purple and green that you see everywhere. Um, and then 
for the most part, there's also in both, um, besides that deep red that, that is involved in Riverdale High, there's also red in almost every shot. Hmm. There's always kind of a murderous red color, whether it's in like a major featured clothing, like like a skirt, or if it's the floor, or if it's like a central wall, there's always a little bit of red to indicate kind of that that murder and that danger. Um, and then there are also these really fun um, with the lighting and sound there, or lighting and set design. There's also these really fun film noir moments mm-hmm. of all, and it's usually in those interrogation scenes. So it'll be. The screen is entirely dark, and then you just see, like, the haunted silhouette of usually Betty, because she's usually the one interrogating. Right. Um, And, like, or when you see in the later seasons, when we get into the farm and kind of the cult aspects of things, um, you see... The, the characters that you're not supposed to trust, their um, their faces are half in shadow, half mm-hmm. in light, which is a pretty, it's a pretty yeah. canon, like... Yeah, pretty blatant um, symbolism. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's in the back pocket of every lighting designer to say, <laughs> oh, she'll be half in shadow and half in light, and that'll Ooh, mean watch out, profound. guys. <laughs> but I think, I think it's used so much because it, it, it does work and it mm-hmm. does look pretty. The other cool thing about these flashback kind of nightmare moments is that they use a similar lighting thing that um, The Shining used when they filmed um, The Shining. So in The Shining, because it was in um, supposed to be in a blizzard and the reason that... So the con- most of The Shining occurs when the characters are stuck in a cabin in the woods mm-hmm. all summer. And kind of the psychological impacts of that. And so as um, as the snowstorm falls, the entire set was just um, done in um, floodlights. Oh. So just this huge white light to make it look a little eerie. A l- mm-hmm. Like the colors are too vibrant. The characters look too clear. And that's something that this lighting team uses as well. There are moments like in this fourth season when Betty is kind of sorry spoilers if you haven't. I mean, <laughs> sorry, th- this is what the episode is. So sorry, <laughs> but um, when Betty is kind of Betty has found out in season two that her father is a serial killer, and then begins to worry that she is as well. And as she goes through that um, journey, she has these dreams of her childhood. And um, it presents these perfect moments of, like, the classic 1950s childhood um, gone a little awry. And within all of those, they also use that flood lighting, um, which I just, sorry, lighting nerd, I'm just excited about. (laughs) Um, And so that plays really well when when, when they wake up back from these nightmare sequences. Um, it goes back into the the deep magenta or the deep reds and the deep blues and kind of the the shadow of the real world that they're living in. Um, and then the sound design is really fun too. It's those <laughs> those pops, bangs, swishes that you would expect um, and read in a comic book. Um, and a lot of and it does like. The kind of like the um, pretty classic thing where you take your um, main music theme and Uh then you slow it down when it's a sad moment. Right. (laughs) 
or make it a little um, quicker when it's yeah or like i think that something that did this so brilliantly was the trailer for us that has that like very creepy slowed down rendition of five on it that's like yeah so yeah it does that really well. Oh, I got a. Re- I love that movie. We need My to. Goodness. We need. Oh, um, we need to talk about us sometime, Aaron. That's, we definitely oh do. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It, and then, so all of these kind of um, the set designs with these color schemes and the color and the lighting design really set the table for what will become the character design. Sure. So, if you look at all of the characters. They are the their hair color is the reddest red or the mm-hmm. the like most elegant beautiful um, version of that hair color mm-hmm. the most um, technicolor you can find it the clothing choices are perfected and stylized even when they're meant to be edgy or destroyed <laughs> I'm thinking of the um, the Southside Serpent jacket, which mm-hmm. I have found on Etsy and I want oh, to buy myself. perfect. Uh, <laughs> I love it so much. Even those aspects are still, it's like, a, it's like a 50s musical. Like, they still have to look really perfect, even if it's supposed to be destroyed. Um, and even something I was noticing was that the the movements of the characters almost feel like you're in a dance concert. The way that they stand, the way that they sit, the way that they walk are stylized. Um, I think you see this with a lot of characters, but specifically for Cheryl, played by Madeleine Petch, who's mm-hmm. just freaking fantastic. Um, each movement that she makes is perfect. When she sits, she creates angles and lines that work with the lighting design um, and kind of create that half shadow, half light that this character is living in. Right. Um, and it just reminds me, and I think you see that across the board. It just reminds me of how dancers would prevent them or present themselves in like a movement mm-hmm. concert. Right. Um, I think the main difference for me here would be that Cheryl is still, and we'll get to this in our um, in a further episode, mm-hmm. but all of the other characters are starting to reject this idea of perfection. Hmm, but Cheryl yeah. is the only one who tries to kind of use it to her advantage. So uh-huh. we really see her continue to be stylized. Nice job, Madeleine. You're amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like the other characters are kind of starting to take on like that same self-awareness that the show itself has but Cheryl is kind of still stuck in the performative aspect totally. of it yeah that's really interesting. yeah well on that note <laughs> um <laughs> in part two we'll we'll be well will that be in part two no I think in part three we'll be discussing some more aspects of the character's self-awareness and relationship with perfection and being performative so that'll be really interesting but but next in the next part we're going to talk about tv and movies our favorite yeah this show is deeply influenced by a lot a lot a lot of things yes (laughs) lots of pop culture references so Stay tuned for part two. If you don't follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, please do. Yeah. And if you like us, give us a give us a rating on on 
I think on, you can rate us on iTunes and on other things. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. All right. We know that everyone has a lot of free time right now. So. Oh, yeah. I know you do. Move on over there. I see you. Yeah. I see you watching Hamilton for the fourth time. (laughs) (laughs) That's coming, by the way. Don't don't say yeah. I don't say I said it, but that's coming. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We will see you guys in part two. Have a wonderful week. Stay safe out there. Please continue to wear a mask and absolutely stay in as much as possible and yeah, love each other. Unless and, unless yeah. you're going to a protest, then wear your mask. Oh, yes. and social yes. distance. Yeah, yeah. Or unless you're voting, please vote. Yes. Please vote. Vote or protest or stay home. Yes. Yes. Those are the only three possible options. Okay. Or if you're an essential worker and we love you. Yes. We love you. Yes. All right, guys. See you next time. Okay. Bye. Bye. It's Margaret Cho here to tell you about the highly anticipated new TV series, Kung Fu. Wednesday on The CW. Watch TV's newest butt-kicking Nikki Shen, a young Chinese-American whose trip to China becomes a three-year journey of self-discovery at the ancient Shaolin Monastery. But when tragedy strikes, she must return home to San Francisco, only to discover that her community is overrun with crime and that her own family is the target of a notorious triad. Nikki will use her next-level kung fu skills to protect her community. Catch the incredible series premiere of Kung Fu, Wednesday at 8, 7 central, or stream free next day, only on The CW.